Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to the CCP's 20th Party Congress. What to expect and the implications for Washington. Please welcome Michael Cunningham, visiting fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Asian Studies Center. Good morning, everyone, or good evening in Asia. So I'm Michael Cunningham. Uh, Walter Lohman, the Asian Studies Center director, was, uh, was planning to uh, moderate this discussion. Uh, we've had some technical problems. He's been unable to get connected. And so for that purpose, um, so that we don't keep you all waiting all morning or evening, I am going to go ahead and, and moderate this. Um, I know we're a little bit ahead of the curve talking about, uh, the, about the upcoming party Congress, um, but it's never too early. Uh, it's never too early first because there really are politics in China, which I'm not sure is always well appreciated by observers in Washington. Uh, there are not politics like ours by any stretch, but they can be fierce. Uh, and, you know, just because all of the players belong to the same party doesn't mean that there isn't competition and and uh, and uh, really a lot of uh, cut, cutthroat uh, uh, rivalries there. So it's it's never um, so. So it's, it's never too early to talk about that. A uh, second. Um, there are real consequences that we need to be thinking about now. Um, I think Washington has missed critical developments because it's tuned in too late. Uh, was the rise of a governing model like Xi Jinping's inevitable? Probably. Was Washington late in recognizing it? Everyone seems to agree emphatically, yes. Maybe there are other examples of that. Um, so one disclaimer at the top, this conversation might range a little bit. So speaking for myself, at no time will I forget, and I think at no time will any of us forget that we're talking about a party that is responsible for repression on a massive scale, a genocide in at least one case. The CCP poses a grave threat to U.S. global leadership in the Pacific, to our security, and even to some of the freedoms at home. Uh, I do not take any of the figures we're discussing today as Jeffersonians. Uh, they're self-professed communists. They are um, members of a revolutionary Marxist communist party, period. Um, now, there have been different uh, tactics for pursuing um, their, their goals, but, but that is what they are, and that is how, how we view them. But um, so if, 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 the, if, these, if these things aren't always stipulated repeatedly, it's for the sake of, of, of the conversation. Um, so... To deal with China, we have to understand the dynamics of the party that runs it. And to help us with this, in the context of the 20th Party Congress, we have uh, these distinguished speakers today uh, who are very um, keen and, and, and longtime observers of China. So we've got Dr. Joseph Fusmith. He's uh, a professor of international relations and political science at Boston University. Dr. Few Smith is the author of seven books, including most recently, Forging Leninism in China. 
now and the remaking of the Chinese Communist Party. Joe is a very widely known and respected scholar on these issues. Dr. Willie Lam is similarly well known and respected on issues involving Chinese politics, particularly elite politics. He is now senior fellow at the Jamestown Foundation and adjunct professor at, at Chinese University of Hong Kong. Willie also has several books to his name, as well as a distinguished career in journalism. I know a lot of uh, China uh, watchers um, always read what, what Willie has to say about, um, about China's elite politics. And then I, I am uh, Heritage Foundation's visiting fellow uh, covering Chinese politics and institutions um, at, at our Asian Studies Center. Um, so I um, just uh, returned actually from uh, the better part of a decade in China, uh, where I was uh, doing consulting, uh, political risk consulting and whatnot. Uh, I just authored an in-depth report on the Party Congress, uh, which you can read, you can find that on our website as well. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to start asking some questions of, of our, our panelists. Uh, Willie, we're gonna start with you. There is such extraordinary unanimity around Xi getting a third term. Um, it's odd that we can be so certain about a system that's so opaque, but is there any uncertainty at all about that? And how about a fourth term? Right, right, right. Uh, so our goal on this statement is a foregone conclusion that Xi Jinping will Willie, sorry, I'm. I, I think we're having trouble hearing you. Maybe if you can talk um, cl closer to the mic. I see. I see. Uh, it's a foregone conclusion that uh, Xi Jinping will get what he wants at the 20th Party Congress. That is uh, an unprecedented uh, third term uh, as the number one, uh, the so-called core of the party. Uh, later on this year. And also, I think there's a very high likelihood that he could get a fourth term. That means um, his um, run as the uh, chief of the party, the Supreme Leader, will go uh, at least until 2032, the 22nd Party Congress. And uh, even beyond 2032, uh, when he will be only 79, uh, the same age as President Biden now, uh, it's possible that uh, he might um, leave the position of general secretary of the party, but keep the most powerful position in China, that is the uh, commander-in-chief, the chairman of the Central Military Commission. Uh, so uh, you might ask the question uh, whether that is um, opposition to uh, Xi Jinping's uh, breaking all the rules, particularly uh, institutional reforms begun by Deng Xiaoping uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, which included uh, fixed tenure and uh, retirement ages for leaders, uh, no personality count, and uh, an orderly institutional-based succession process. However, uh, Xi Jinping uh, is also a astute and Machiavellian uh, politician, so he has been very successful in um, stoking the flames of nationalism. Uh, he has told uh, intimates and other senior party officials that uh, China needs a strong man, a uh, person of determination, 
and um, sovereignness uh, to um, effectuate the so-called liberation of Taiwan and, and also uh, to uh, challenge the uh, America's position as the hegemon of the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, originally, those uh, plans were uh, targeted. Uh, they, they had a deadline uh, of uh, 2049, which, uh, by, by which time uh, Beijing will celebrate the uh, 100th uh, anniversary of the establishment of the People's Republic. But I understand that uh, these goals have been moved forward to the um, middle uh, or late uh, 2030s when uh, Xi Jinping uh, will be alive and uh, still has uh, a lot of influence in the party. So um, regarding the opposition, um, I won't have time to discuss the, um, the two former uh, leading factions in the party. That means the Shanghai faction under former President Jiang Zemin and the Communist Republic faction under former President Hu Jintao. I will just focus on the so-called uh, members of the red aristocracy, uh, the princelings being the offspring of the founders of the Republic and also uh, former Politburo Standing Committee members and their children. Uh, Xi Jinping has uh, astutely used the anti-corruption card and also uh, since uh, last autumn, uh, he has cracked down on a number of uh, companies, including uh, HNA Group, uh, including uh, Evergrande and so forth, uh, which are backed by uh, members of the Shanghai faction and other uh, opponents. Uh, so uh, at this stage, um, he has many enemies within the party, but his enemies are divided and uh, they are no in, uh, in no position to challenge Xi Jinping, who is the only member of the Politburo Standing Committee who has day-to-day -day control of the army, the people's uh, uh, armed police uh, and the police, uh, as well as the uh, state security apparatus in general. Uh, well, uh, however, uh, Xi Jinping uh, has also made a, a, a series of uh, mistakes in, in, in the past year. Notably, uh, he's cracked down on uh, a number of uh, actually very successful high-tech conglomerates, beginning with uh, the Alibaba Ant Group, uh, uh, Evergrande, Fantasia, and so forth, uh, mostly because uh, uh, they were uh, backed by uh, his political enemies at the top echelon of the party. Uh, Xi Jinping has come up with this um, crowd-pleasing formula of uh, common prosperity to justify his action. And... Uh, Regarding the U.S., uh, Xi Jinping has adopted a, a very hard line uh, to the extent of um, putting out uh, Chinese companies, uh, which are listed on the uh, U.S. Uh, New York Stock Exchange, uh, even though um, recently, because the economy is not doing very well, uh, which uh, has been affected by the uh, pandemic, as well as the uh, ripple effect of the Ukrainian crisis, which I understand uh, Joe will discuss in detail, so I won't go into this. But uh, uh, Xi Jinping has faced pressure at the very top of the, of the party, so he has moderated his policy. The crackdown on the uh, big high-tech companies like Alibaba uh, have been temporarily stopped, and uh, Xi Jinping 
uh, has allowed uh, companies which uh, want to list in the New York Stock Exchange to disclose uh, auditing and other uh, details, uh, information about the companies to the uh, stock exchange authorities in the U.S. And Xi Jinping is apparently now committed to uh, prevent the uh, decoupling of the two economies, at least uh, decoupling on the high-tech uh, sector. Um, well, uh, you may ask the question uh, that uh, whether these uh, compromises which Xi Jinping has made uh, is because he needs to uh, get more support uh, at the 20th Party Congress. Uh, this might be correct uh, because uh, Xi Jinping is a very um, obstinate, obstinate and person who is highly committed uh, of the correctness of his vision. So his um, Chinese dream uh, that Beijing would re reclaim its um, Middle Kingdom status, at least in the Indo-Pacific uh, region uh, by the mid to late uh, 2030s, uh, as well as uh, his very ambitious project to um, challenge the US and other Western powers in high-tech areas such as AI, robotics, um, bioengineering, and so forth. Uh, these um, long-standing plans will be going forward, even though uh, as a result of the um, partial uh, ban on the export of uh, key components to Chinese high-tech companies, first introduced by uh, former President Trump and uh, followed by Biden, uh, the Chinese uh, faces obstacles. Uh, at the China Party Congress, uh, which will be close uh, to the public, unfortunately, uh, we will see some uh, heavy debates uh, amongst the uh, uh, top uh, officials, even though, um, generally speaking, uh, seeing the, the strength of Xi Jinping, which has been manifested in his recent uh, ability to convince his colleagues uh, in the Politburo uh, to stand uh, four square behind uh, Vladimir Putin and also uh, to stick closely to a very draconian regime uh, for zero tolerance policy against the pandemic, uh, Xi Jinping seems to be in a, in a strong position. But uh, after the um, Result, one major result of the party congress has come out. That means the membership of the uh, 200 odd central company members, uh, the membership of the 25 uh, member Politburo and the seven member Politburo standing committee, uh, we will see that Xi Jinping will be forced to make some compromise. That means uh, he will allow uh, several slots uh, to be given to uh, so-called uh, members of the opposition uh, in the Politburo Standing Committee. Uh, I see that uh, the Xi Jinping faction, which is now the strongest uh, clique within the party, uh, he will be able to get uh, three out of the seven uh, seats, uh, well as the uh, members representing the other factions uh, might have to be uh, contented with a, a much smaller share uh, of the top positions, but still, uh, Xi Jinping's um, power is not without uh, restraints, uh, simply because uh, most of the uh, mid to top echelon cadres uh, grew up and spent the bulk of the career during the 40 years of Deng Xiaoping's reforms. 
and Xi Jinping's uh, uh, fairly uh, obtrusive and uh, unpopular uh, attempts to to stand many of uh, Deng Xiaoping's uh, institutional and economic reforms, including Deng Xiaoping's largely uh, pro-West market-oriented economic policy, uh, have alienated uh, quite a number of uh, uh, senior cadres. So uh, the short conclusion is that uh, Xi Jinping will be around uh, at least until uh, the early to mid-2030s, uh, uh, but he faces uh, formidable uh, opposition within the party, uh, even though uh, because of his uh, control over the armed forces and the police, it's unlikely that there would be a, a drastic change uh, in China's policy. Uh, and uh, given the rise of nationalism amongst um, high school and university students and other sectors of the population, uh, it's likely that uh, Xi Jinping, for example, regarding the Ukrainian crisis, uh, has followed the Russian line of uh, blaming, uh, putting the blame on the uh, eastward, so-called eastward expansion of the of the U.S., uh, NATO, and uh, the EU. Uh, so um, the conclusion is that uh, because she uh, has promised to um, the, the, the party to complete national reunification, that means the absorbing Taiwan uh, within his lifetime, and, and also uh, successfully challenge uh, U.S. supremacy in the Pacific, uh, the uh, uh, antagonism yeah. and contention between uh, China and the U.S. will stay, and it could be exacerbated. Okay, thank you. That's um, a, a lot to unpack. Um, thank you so much uh, for for that um, that that insight. So you're saying that in addition to factional rivalries, uh, she also has uh, uh, opponents who are uh, among the um, the uh, the other princelings. Um, which is which is fascinating um, in and of itself, uh, but um, your conclusion, he's going to be around for a while, <laughs> so Washington should not uh, get its hopes up that there will there will be a drastic change. Uh, that brings me to um, some questions for Joe. Uh, Joe, back in 2012, 2013, there was a lot of talk about Xi being an economic reformer. Um, in fact, I don't know if you follow Rhodium's work, but sure. they have done some, some great benchmarking uh, Chinese economic reforms against the program she released in 2013. Um, any chance of a return to kind of a reform and opening? What do you expect economic policy to look like in Xi's third term? Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Um, the um, Yes, I do remember the third plenum back then, uh, which had the statement that said that uh, market forces should be decisive in the economy, and everybody seemed to get their hopes up that China was on a cusp of a new wave of, of market-oriented reforms. And I think by now, we've all been disabused of, of that optimism. Uh, in fact, of course, uh, the economic reforms that we thought were going to be implemented simply were not implemented. Uh, if anything, it has gone uh, the other direction, uh, particularly with the unexpected crackdown 
on Alibaba and other high-tech firms, which seem to be leading the Chinese economy in a more market-oriented direction. And now, uh, especially with uh, Made in China 2025 and other things, we see much more of a drive to um, have it uh, centralized, state-oriented uh, e economy. Um, is this going to change? Uh, well, that, that begins to lead you to the 20th Party Congress. Uh, we don't know, of course, who is going to take the economic portfolios. One of the positions that will be changed is the premiership. Uh, Li Keqiang has served two terms, and assuming that uh, the party follows at least some of most of the norms of the past, he will step down. Uh, he's one of only three people who will step down, uh, Li, Li Jianshu and uh, Han Zheng being the other two who by age should step down. So, you know, who's going to take over that premiership? Uh, there's a lot of speculation that uh, somebody like Hu Chunhua, who came up uh, through the Communist Youth League, uh, will take that portfolio, in which case one would expect uh, Xi Jinping's economic model to follow pretty much what it has been, which has been to reduce the power of the premiership, centralize economic control in his own hands, uh, in which case one would expect for no um, no economic, uh, no major change in economic policy. Another person who's going to step down, though, is Vice Premier Liu He. He's not on the Politburo Standing Committee, but he is on the Politburo. And so presumably she will be looking to uh, another vice premier for his chief advice on the economy. Uh, it's possible that that would be a uh, reform-minded economist, but it's also quite possible that it would be somebody perhaps even more conservative than uh, Liu He. Um, one of the questions that is up there is where will Wang Yang go? Well, Wang Yang will be 67, and so supposedly will continue in office. Uh, he would be an interesting choice as a premier or as a primary economic advisor, uh, maybe an executive vice premier, uh, something of that sort. He seems to be a bit more market-oriented than Xi Jinping. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are um, up in the air still, that will come out of the 20th Party Congress. China's had a tradition of having very strong premiers. Uh, one thinks of Zhu Rongji and obviously Zhou Enlai and so forth. Um, Xi Jinping has not followed that model. Uh, there might be some effort to try to increase the prominence of the premier. That would be interesting and might address uh, some of the economic problems, as you know, China's productivity has been falling for years, and this predates uh, Xi Jinping. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to uh, do some economic reform. Uh, how this will shake out is hard to say. Uh, as we speak, of course, COVID is, is making quite a comeback in Shanghai and other places. And this will have a, a significant effect on the economy. And so that's another pressure along with uh, lower productivity. And if you're thinking a little bit longer term, China faces quite a demographic challenge. 
Uh, China is an aging society. Uh, and so, you know, one would expect uh, that to try to counter this, you would get, um, you know, younger people, more market oriented, uh, you know, more, uh, even more open. Uh, these things all cut against what Xi Jinping has been doing the last 10 years. So he's going to face some very fundamental changes, uh, challenges as uh, he hits the 20th Party Congress. Um, in any case, um, I, I don't want to go on too long, but maybe um, uh, maybe it's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, I, I agree with uh, Willie completely that she is going to be there for at least another 10 years. Uh, if the, if you have only three people retiring from the Politburo Standing Committee, uh, if you wanted to hire a, a hire, uh, put in somebody in place to be uh, a successor, you know, a premier and, yeah. a, and a, a potentially a, a new general secretary, that would be two of those seats. I don't think Xi Jinping is going to give up two seats to a successor. So I think we will not see any sign of a successor, which, as Willie says, means that she will be there for another five years after that. Uh, this really does um, challenge what I think Deng Xiaoping was trying to do. Uh, Deng Xiaoping's sort of biggest push for an institutional change was to institute a rule that the general secretary not appoint his own successor. Uh, you know, in other words, that power be decentralized within the party and that the general secretary's seat should be passed around to different wings of the party. Uh, you know, she has completely reversed that, and it seems certain that he will try to appoint his own successor, uh, and that will exacerbate infighting within the party. People will resent being passed over. Uh, they will feel that they have no choice uh, if they come up the wrong ladder there. Um, let's see. Well, you asked about the economy. Uh, maybe I'll let you ask something else. Um, yeah. Have more of a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Um, actually, you you covered uh, pretty much. Um, you covered the question pretty well. So it's 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 very much up in the air. If I'm understanding uh, what you're saying, it's going to depend in part on who else is in. Um, you know, who's who's the premier? Uh, who's in charge of the economy? Uh, who unofficially perhaps is in charge of, of, of the economy, sort of to the extent that that, um, that some of Xi's uh, key allies were this this past um, term. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said actually, and I'm I'm gonna I'm, or you mentioned you didn't expound on, and and I was going to um, uh, speak a little bit about this uh, for our our audience. Um, so you mentioned the the topic of norms. Or, or sort of the um, the procedures that in the Dong era and they continued developing in the Jiang era um, that uh, were established to sort of uh, govern the, uh, the the transition of power. Um, and there's a lot of talk right now. You know, a lot of people are like, "Well, do they? They don't even matter anymore." She has completely demolished uh, the norms. And I actually. Um, I don't quite see it that way. Now, I, I would. I'll, I'll give people people who who 
look at it from that angle, I'll give them this, and that is that there are no real set in, in stone norms. Nothing is written down that governs, you know, how how long party uh, officials can stay in power. Um, there's nothing set in stone that says that the, that the party Congress after their 68th birthday, they have to leave office or that the general secretary can only stay in for two five-year terms. Actually, we've only seen one general secretary stay in for exactly two five-year terms. That was Hu Jintao, the, a, a very weak uh, general secretary who lived under his his predecessor's shadow uh, the entire time. So, um, but, but from, you know, I actually do think that, that the norms have been respected a lot more than most people uh, give, I guess, give she and give give the, the, the party leadership credit for. Um, these informal uh, customs or norms are actually very important to China's elite. The party elite, they see them as legitimate, generally. Uh, they see them as desirable and important for giant for China's um, uh, political uh, stability, um, and in the the Xi era, we we've seen pretty much that that they've mostly stuck, with the exception of Xi Jinping himself. So we expect them not to apply to him for him, as as you both said, to be in office at least another ten years. Um, but if we look back at the 19th Party Congress five years ago, all throughout the, the Party Congress, there were still rumors, lots of rumors that um, Xi's key ally, Wang Qishan, was going to stay in the standing committee. And um, a lot of people were surprised when he retired from his party leadership roles. But he was instead made vice president, and he was allowed to continue uh, attending uh, standing committee uh, meetings, but but as a non-voting member. And there's actually that that's actually not uh, there, there's actually precedent for that. Uh, it happened extensively in the Deng era, for example. Deng himself and and several other figures were attending these meetings, and at least on paper, were not were not voting. Um, but um, you know, the, the question then is. Why did Wang not remain in the standing committee? Was it because she tried but failed to keep him there? Or was it because she always intended to uh, have him step down from formal party office? So she, he, he has been, you know, for, for those other than himself, he's been a stickler for rules. He's been trying to uh, govern the party with more rules. Um, and and I think these um, these norms, they help prevent him, uh, well, they do help prevent his allies from staying in power indefinitely, but he has many allies that he's placed in high positions. They also prevent his rivals from staying in power long enough to pose a threat. So, so I do think that the most likely scenario is we are going to see most of these uh, leadership, leadership succession norms uh, stay, uh, stay valid, uh, continue to be followed during this party congress, but will probably, I, I doubt they'll apply to him. Um, the top dog has always sort of, almost always been able to circumvent these norms as, as they apply to him. Uh, but, you know, we, there, there could be surprises here or there. We could, it's, it's not, not impossible that we'd see Liu He, um, for example, um, Stay, stay in office and become premier, although I, I, I do think that it's more likely that he will get an unofficial advisory role 
um, or potentially take Wang Qishan's place as vice president, but that he will not have an official um, party leadership role. Um, so that's, um, I, I guess, my um, my take on sort of the the question of norms. Um, we we did want to get to. I, there are several um, questions from the audience coming in, um, and let me see. Um, here's the first one, and if um, uh, let's see which of the two of you wants to answer this. But does Putin's failures, or do Putin's failures in Ukraine? Make the make a CCP invasion of Taiwan less likely. I think it possibly makes it more likely. Um, the optimistic scenario is that China will look at the world reaction to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and say, "Oh boy, uh, we can't go there." Uh, I think that. Um, the lesson for China, unfortunately, is that if you want to invade Taiwan, do it quickly, do it efficiently, and wrap it up quickly. None of this, uh, you know, extended combat that you have in Ukraine. Um, I've always have thought that China's optimal position was uh, military pressure and economic pressure, a combination of the two, uh, I think that the odds of China simply using military force is fairly small. Um, I think that you can combine, you know, I th the idea is to keep the U.S. out of any particular conflict. Uh, one of the lessons of the Ukrainian conflict is the United States does not want to directly fight another nuclear power. China is a nuclear power. Um, this will increase China's leverage in a Taiwan scenario. Thank Will you, you, Joe. Um, we, we have another question that's come in uh, from Tan um, Chan at Radio Free Asia. Uh, given China is facing, this is a really important question, um, given China is facing the largest wave of COVID cases uh, that it's had yet, um, particularly in Shanghai. How will the outcomes of the zero COVID policy uh, in the coming months affect Xi's prospects for the party Congress? Um, Joe, you answered the last one. I, uh, let, let me see, um, would you like to take this one, uh, Willie? Oh yeah, sure. Well, uh, as I understand, um, there was a bit of um, controversy at the very top of the party, uh, whether uh, China should still stick to this uh, zero tolerance policy versus the uh, uh, most other countries' approach, which is coexistence with the virus. Uh, however, uh, Xi Jinping has said uh, many times, both um, uh, within the party and publicly, that uh, Beijing's success in containing the virus uh, in the past two years shows that the, China's mo the China model is more successful uh, than the uh, Western model and so forth. And uh, as I said, uh, the extent to which uh, Xi Jinping has gone uh, in um, uh, making sure that uh, Shanghai, where there is a lot of, a lot of resistance to uh, forced quarantine and other Kunian measures, uh, Xi Jinping uh, decided to show that uh, he had tamed Shanghai 
uh, by uh, sending in uh, several thousand uh, 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 soldiers from different military regions uh, to the metropolis uh, shows that uh, Xi Jinping is determined to stick to his policy, uh, even uh, at the expense of uh, a possible threat to uh, the, the attainment of the 5.5% growth rate uh, predicted by Premier Li Keqiang at the National People's Congress. Uh, in general, uh, we see that um, Xi Jinping is, is a very obstinate person. Uh, he's not uh, easily persuaded to um, take a different route, uh, despite the fact that uh, there are indications that uh, they are developing a new generation of vaccination which uh, uses the Western formula uh, rather than the traditional Chinese formula. Uh, uh, and could I add just uh, a little bit to what Joe was saying earlier uh, regarding the economic team? Uh, that is uh, strong speculation, and I think uh, pieces of evidence back this up that uh, Mr. Hurley Fong, the uh, uh, head of the NDRC National Development and Reform Commission, uh, would re replace uh, uh, Liu He as uh, the principal economic advisor to Xi uh, Jinping. Uh, um, Mr. He, unfortunately, even though he worked with Xi Jinping for some 20 years in uh, Fujian province, uh, is considered to be a, a run-of-the-mill uh, aparashik. Uh, and uh, as for the replacement of uh, Li Keqiang, um, I think that is a pretty much a consensus amongst China watchers in Beijing that it would be uh, it would be uh, Hu Junhua uh, who. Uh, is a current uh, vice premier. And uh, Hu Junhua uh, spent uh, almost 20 years of his career in uh, Tibet, and he's not known to be uh, as knowledgeable about uh, international finance as either Liu He or uh, Li Keqiang. So I'm afraid that uh, uh, regarding both the pandemic and economic policy, uh, Xi Jinping would, would stick to the uh, norms which... Uh, He's, he's convinced uh, working for China uh, and, and so forth. Great. Thank you. Thank you both uh, for your questions. There's one last question, um, and I, I'll, I'll take this question. Um, we have about a, a minute and a half left. So um, the question is, while she seems to be on path for a next term, are there any key actors or players we should keep an eye on within uh, CCP domestic politics. So I guess in addition to, to, to Xi, and both of you have actually touched on this. Um, and so just, I guess, to summarize that, I'd say, you know, Xi is going to stay in power almost definitely, but um, the amount of, of power and influence he has to pursue his agenda is really going to depend on, you know, does he manage to get uh, a majority uh, of, of his well, his allies, are they able to, to form a majority of Politburo Standing Committee seats, Politburo seats? Um, is he going to end up with one of his people as premier, which probably, you know, it, it's not looking good for that. Now, one person I'd look at, though, is uh, Hu Chunhua. Um, will he have no problems? Will he manage to be taken down for corruption? Will he just be so, somehow be stonewalled and not not able to get in? Does she appoint someone else, um, or you know, does he manage to get someone else appointed a vice premier before the party congress? Because currently, there's only um, 
it, it has always been the case that the incoming premier has been a, a, a serving vice premier. Um, and currently, the only one not set to retire is Hu Chunghua. Um, another person I'd look at is Li Keqiang. Is he going to retire from the standing committee? Or is he just going to step down as premier and uh, say lead the NPC or, or something, uh, the National People's Congress or something like that? Um, because if he, you know, if he stays in the, the standing committee, then that's one more seat that cannot be filled with one of Xi's people. So um, yeah, lots of people to look at. Um, read, I encourage any, everyone interested in that also to read the report um, that, that we put out that you can find on the Heritage website. Um, that goes into more detail about these people besides she that, that, that we can that we should be paying attention to. Um, we have come to um, the, the end of this program. It is um, I guess we're one minute late. Um, um, thank you everyone for for participating. Um, it, it, it has been hopefully I, I've found um, it to be a fruitful discussion and I hope everyone else has gotten a lot out of this as well. Um, any final remarks by 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 Willie or Joe? Um, the sort of thirty second version. Well, I would look at the people who are sixty seven on the Politburo Standing Committee. Uh, that's Wang Yang. It's Wang Huning. Uh, it's Li Keqiang. Uh, sixty seven. You know, you talk about norms. Uh, is it Qishang uh, Basha, seven up, eight down? Or, well, we have some interesting changes in those people. Uh, those, the 67 group is fascinating to look at. Thank you. Yes, very important point. Willie. Well, I will only add that uh, we should pay more attention to the uh, seventh generation officials. That means uh, Cadre is born in the 1970s because. If Xi Jinping were to stay around uh, for 10 years or more, then uh, the entire uh, sixth generation uh, officials, people born in the 1960s, uh, might be out of contention for top jobs because uh, anybody who was born uh, in uh, 1964 or earlier uh, would be uh, uh, 68 uh, by the time of the 22nd Party Congress in 2032, and therefore, uh, theoretically, according to the convention, uh, ineligible to get into the standing committee. Uh, however, uh, while there are already a few dozen uh, seventh generation officials uh, now occupying the position of uh, vice minister or, or vice um, governor, vice mayors of major cities, and so forth. Uh, we don't see anybody uh, who is really outstanding and so forth. So uh, Deng Xiaoping was very right to insist upon a uh, institutional-based uh, uh, succession plan. Uh, but Xi Jinping, because of his personal ambition, uh, has now made this uh, a very precarious uh, proposition. And uh, this is a, a potential a point of connect, contention amongst the various factions, which might uh, damage the uh, uh, legitimacy of the party. Thank you. Yes. And and thank you, everyone, for your participation. Um, we will now close the meeting. Um, be sure to 
you know, stay up, uh, look, look at our website um, for information on more uh, future um, uh, events by the Asian Study Center or by the Heritage Foundation generally. Thank you all. Thank you very Thank much. You.